Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everyone needs a hobby. Something to distract us from the job and everyday life. Something that's just for you. Something that allows you to pursue a passion that maybe only you understand. For example, Flea is big into chess. When the Chili Peppers are on the road, he'll often challenge people to games, including grandmasters who are invited backstage for the purpose of playing Flea. Getty Lee of Rush used to be very, very big into signed baseballs, especially those from the old Negro League. Neil Young finds model trains very relaxing. Iggy Pop paints. Bob Dylan does sculpture. Brian Adams is into photography. Slash collects pinball machines. Guy Berryman of Coldplay has an incredible collection of cars, ranging from classic Porsches to a Bugatti Veyron. And then there's Stephen Morris of New Order. He collects old military vehicles including tanks. Hey, listen, if you have the interest and the money, why not? This brings me to Kirk Hammett of Metallica. Kirk has always been a fan of horror movies, and Kirk is a fan of horror memorabilia. But his biggest passion are posters from old sci-fi and horror movies. His collection is so big and so comprehensive and so well-preserved that is the subject of exhibitions at major museums, including the Royal Ontario Museum in Toronto. But why these movie posters? Well, I sat down with Kirk to find out. This is the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross, and this is a bonus podcast-only edition of the Ongoing History of New Music. Back in January 2019, I traveled to see Metallica play in Nashville. And before the show, I got to sit down with guitarist Kirk Hammett to talk about It's Alive, his exhibition of classic horror movie posters and artwork that was on its way to the Royal Ontario Museum in Toronto. Here's our conversation. One of your absolute utter obsessions, which is old horror movie posters and memorabilia. Now, uh, Lars has his paintings. Uh, James is getting into acting. What does Robert do? He surfs, and, he surfs okay. and plays a lot of bass. Okay. How did you get into something like this? Because your, your collection is one of the most comprehensive in the world, I, I, I understand. Yes, yes. Well, it was something that I've been into. Horror movies and the horror movie genre is something I've been into ever since I was a, a child, ever since I was like five or six years old. And it was something that I was attracted to initially because it was just so different and had a different sort of feel and atmosphere to a lot of the culture I was getting at the time. 
as a five and six, five or six year old, you know, that would have entailed like a lot of like Disney Disney movies and cartoons and, and so this and, is the and 60s, whatnot. right? This 60s is like yeah, late late sixties, early seventies, and so when I saw I saw the first my first horror movie, I thought, wow, this is a different type of movie, a different type of story. And I really really latched on to it, and and kind of pursued a more of that kind of story. And it was through comic books and, and, and magazines and movies and books and just um, anything that, that had that kind of like horror uh, uh, affiliation. Uh, I was, uh, you know, I was attracted to, and um, it never really died out. <laughs> do, do you remember that first horror movie? Yeah, it was a, a, a movie called Day of the Triffids. Oh, from 56. Uh, I'm not sure what year it is. From Yeah, probably late 50s or early 60s, yeah. So you're not just into any horror movies. It's got to be of a particular era, right? Well, no, I'm, 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 I'm into most horror movies. I, 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 I enjoy movies from the, the turn of the last century up, up, up to a recent time. I, I have to put boundaries on, on, or limits on what I collect because I can easily collect a lot of other things that I don't collect. For instance, stuff like Star Wars, Star Trek, Planet of the Apes, you know, a ton of science fiction stuff. But I try to keep it to, to uh, what I really love and what means the most to me, which is the classic universal horror monsters and those movies that came out in the, in the early 30s. And they kind of... Now that's really specific. Yes, yes. But, you know, from there, the, the horror genre kind of ex exploded out and, and, and became what it, it, what, what it initially became during the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. I mean, it, it, it went through a lot of different phases and a lot, a lot of different uh, um, uh, themes that were, were in vogue and went out of, out of vogue or out of fashion. But I, I like most horror movies. To answer your question, I like most horror movies, but you know, I especially like the ones that have a sort of like supernatural theme Monster theme, you know, a theme from outer space, uh, you know, a paranormal theme. I, I tend to shy away from horror movies that are over, overtly violent. You know, I I like gore, but I don't like gore for the sake of it. You know, I, so you're not a fan of like Saw or anything. Well, you know, those movies definitely have their their place in the horror genre, but you know, f for me, I I I. I I need more. I need, need a more plot. You know, I need more intrigue. Um, you know, it's to me, it's kind of a cheap thrill. You know, just uh, filming someone getting, you know, violently abused or whatever. It needs to have a plot around it. The Saw movies do have a plot, but there are other movies out there that just are just you know. Just violent for the sake of it. Yeah, it's the 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 uh, torture porn. Yeah, whatever 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 you want to call it. And you know, to me, you know, I don't. See, it's hard for me to recognize the artistry of it. Okay, so let's go back to your collection. Um, what are the boundaries that you put on it? I like anything that is connected to the the the, 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 the those core group of of movies or characters, which is Frankenstein, Dracula. The Mummy, Wolfman, Family of the Opera, Creature from the Black Lagoon, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I mean, those are like the, the key characters. And from those key characters, all these other movies 
have come out and all these books and, and, and movie posters and merchandise and toys and, and whatnot. And it's very separate from like the Star Wars genre, you know, where you have all these means of action figures or like, you know, Planet of the Apes. Remember Planet of the Apes? It's still a big genre, and there's a lot of collectors who collect that stuff. To, uh, to See, this I'm day. not a fan of the, the the current stuff. Yeah. But if we go back to the Charlton Heston, yeah, era, yeah, I mean, and that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, because there's 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 just a lot of that stuff that still survives, and it's enough to support its own like genre of collecting. And I stay away from that. You know, same with Star Trek. I mean, there's. Yeah, there's so much other stuff that that I could collect, but I don't. And you know, I I tried to keep it to, to horror movie posters, props, which are you know uh, items that were used in certain movies. Um, I love uh, I love the toys, and you know, there's toys being made every day uh, based on this stuff, and I love that. I love the masks. I love the artwork, paintings, comics, original art. You know, sculptures. There's a lot of stuff, but um, the 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 collection that uh, of, of things that are going to to, to the uh, Toronto uh, Museum is my core collection, or in other words, my hundred best pieces. How many pieces are there? Uh, it's over a hundred, um, uh, uh, and uh, it. Uh, it, 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 it's very representative uh, of, of the horror genre in general from the turn of last century up until modern times. And you can see the development of horror movie, movie posters. And you can see all the different sort of trends that they went through. And you can actually see in, in the uh, posters what was you know, part of the culture of the day. I mean, for instance, you know, the, the movie posters from the 30s are very vivid and have very lush, deep tones. And you know, they, when you, I look at them, I get a sense of like romance and, and whatnot. And that makes sense because back in, in, in the 30s, the most uh, um, successful, successful type of movie were romance movies, you know, relationship movies. And so to reel in the, that audience who, who, who or that, those, those ticket buyers, uh, the studios would design the horror movie posters so that they looked like romance uh, uh, movies. I, you know what? Now that you mention it, I see that now. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a very, very subtle thing. And so, if you look at my book and you, and you see the, all, all the, the, the posters from the '30s side by side, you will see that current theme. Um, and you know it, it's a, and that's just the 30s. I mean, the 40s, the trend trended changed uh, uh, again, and into a very sort of stylized look, and then it, it changed again in the 50s, and so well, on. There, okay. So there's yeah. exactly what we're what we're yeah. kind of talking about here. Yeah, yeah it's a, it's a very stylized look, and uh, it, it was uh, it was designed uh, to to appeal to whatever. Uh, the movie goer, you know, whatever the culture was that the, the movie goer well, was yeah, experiencing. You know, again, Creature from the Black Lagoon. I mean, there's absolutely no reason to have a woman in a bathing suit yeah, yeah. as part of the poster. The, the 50s were heavy on, on, on the women in either bathing suits or lingerie being chased by monsters. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. 
Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I mean, the, the, uh, these, uh, these creatures and aliens are so fortunate to be able to catch these women <laughs> in such scantily clad attire and, like, you know, tasteful as well. Oh, yeah. So uh, this has become, wow, look at this. Okay, you'll, you'll see all this in the exhibition. Yeah. But now I'm never going to look at these posters the same way again. Yeah, I mean, it, it, really, cool. it really is a sign of just whatever, whatever the socio, you know, economic, cultural thing was, was going on at the time. I mean, I, I hate to like sound so, like, like an anthropologist, but that, I mean that is a fact. In, in in a lot of these posters, I mean they were designed to sort of reflect what was happening at, at that particular ter- so period of time. Where do you find these things? Because I would imagine back in the day, the run finished, they mm-hmm. tore it off the marquee. That's exactly what happened. And to make matters worse, uh, over the First World War and the Second World War, there's these things called paper drives, which were ba- basically big recycling efforts to get you know, uh, to, uh, all the paper that people weren't using and to, to put it in big trucks and wagons or whatever and, and haul it off to be recycled. And these recycling trucks would make it a, a point to, to, to stop in front of movie theaters and poster exchanges. And Poster exchanges were these these uh, distribution centers where the, the theaters would send all the posters and the and, and they would distribute the, the posters to all the different theaters in the uh, in the town or in the county. Well, these trucks would go in front of the poster exchanges and say, "Okay, you got some paper? I know. Let's add it." And they'd bring out tons of movie posters, plop them on the truck, and off the truck would go, and they'd get recycled. So as a result, there's very few examples of these posters that, that survive, and a lot of times they've survived because of flukes. You know, a lot of them have been found in between walls as used as uh, insulation. A lot of them have been found outside the country in weird places like Sweden or New Zealand or Iran. Um, Iran. Yeah, of all places. I mean, you know, the, a major piece was found um, three years ago in Canada. It was boarded, it was found in a boarded up projection room that no one had opened up for like the last 40 or, or 50 years. It's an old theater so, that they were re. Refurbishing. I'm not. I'm not yeah. sure if it, what the the reason was uh, uh, for them to like re- reopen that that boarded up room. But as as they came into the room, right on the wall was a Frankenstein three sheet, and you know there that's. Uh, up until that time, no one th- uh, had ever seen one or had, uh, a new one existed. Well, how do you authenticate something like that? Well, there are. Uh, when these movies came out, there are these things called press books, and they had pictures of all, all the movie posters in the back. And, and so you had you know, a direct sort of like a visual reference from the studio of what these posters uh, looked like. Even if they don't survive today, there's still a reference of, of what that poster did look like before it, it was uh, abolished. And so you, you have that. And then also, there are certain ways that you can test the paper 
a certain sort of carb, uh, paper stock was used in the 30s, in the 20s and 30s. So, I mean, that's the first thing to look for is a, is a certain sort of paper stock. And then there are other ways you add, you know, you, you uh, get the paper tested, you know, um, and, and, and then there's a, a provenance as well. You know, where did this come from? Oh, it came from this theater, you know, where all these other pieces came from. Because there's a, a stack of movie posters found from the 20s. And uh, this, this poster from, the, from 1928 came from that stack, of, from that find. And, you know, that's basically so how it all So it's works. like any other art collection. Yeah, you know, it's it's like, you know, it's like hunting for gold. <laughs> it's a, for me, it's been a lot of networking. I got into the, uh, the this uh this hobby when it was so underground uh, over 30 years ago. There weren't a lot of movie po poster collectors. I mean, there were not a lot, not as many as there are today. So I was able to come in and take a look around and see what was available and grab what what I wanted to grab, you know because no one else was grabbing it, no one else is collecting it, and I was able to get it at a price that, that, that was sensible. And nowadays people realize that this stuff is so rare and there's only, for certain posters, one example that exists in the entire world. And so people, collectors, when they hear about something that's that rare, there's a, you know, a certain collector and a certain dealer who will collect that, that thing just because it's so rare. No matter what it is, coins, posters, books, cars, or whatever. And so you have a big influx of that kind of collector and that kind of dealer coming into this hobby. And of course, you know, the supply is low, but it raises the demand and, and you know, prices go up. Uh, you, you have collectors or, or, or potential collectors learning about movie posters and how cool they are, and then they enter the, enter the, uh, uh, the, the um, you know the collector world they're trying to like buy stuff and then then when they d discover that there's only like you know one piece here of this and two pieces there this they'll do anything to get those pieces and you know, I've seen this every year for like the last 30 35 years and exponentially it's brought the entire horror genre of movie posters way up in value and in price. Now, is there, for you, a holy grail, understanding that there may be something out there that nobody knows exists? <laughs> well, there's a lot of pieces out there that I would love to have that, that have not just been found at all. You know, like a Bride of Frankenstein three-sheet, you know, a Dracula three-sheet. You know, there's, they used to make billboard-sized posters. Even in the 20s, they made those. You know, it would be incredible if someone found a billboard-sized poster of like Frankenstein or Dracula or the Bride of Frankenstein, you know. Who knows, you know? When I first started 30 years ago, no one knew that there was a, a Frankenstein three-sheet out there or a mummy three-sheet. I mean, I found both. And and so, you know... It's only known copies in the world. All, those two are the only known copies in the world. You know, I don't know what's coming around the corner. You know, it, it just, it's just one of those unpredictable things. And, that, and that's also part of the appeal, I think is that with movie posters, if you want to be, become a movie poster collector, there's two ways to do it. You go out online and you buy from dealers, or you hit the road, you go out there and you start hitting up movie theaters and, 
and you know antique stores and flea markets and just you know anything the whole everything Pawn stars thing yeah and you can find stuff out there i mean there's still a lot of stuff and i know more than a lot of people who are doing that probably as we speak right now they're probably driving to some place somewhere you know up in like you know the the eastern seaboard or something because they heard of an old movie theater that's been boarded up for the last 20 years, but, you know, someone still has the key. You know, that's how it all works. In my small town, there was a movie theater that goes back to the 1940s. And the building still stands. It's been renovated into something else. But now that you start talking about, you know, what's in the walls? Yeah, I mean, you, you never know. There what could, was papered over? Yeah, you, there could be gold in there. Were there at any, are there famous artists? That that or a lot of who, like who created these things. Well, uh, uh, a lot of the artists that uh, that made the American movie posters are, are, are unknown or uncredited. But uh, there's quite a few European artists that are that were known and credited. Credited. One of the most famous ones was this guy named Roland Codan. And uh, he was a French artist, and he did a, a, a lot of the, the, the French movie posters from like the 30s to, to the 50s. And he also did a lot, a lot of uh, uh, contemporary um, uh, advertisements too. And this is, he was a very, very famous artist. But probably, you know, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, Toulouse-Lautrec did, did early movie posters um, in, in, in France, you know, the, uh, and during the turn of the, 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 the 20th century. I mean, and then in the 50s and 60s, famous uh, 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 artists which started doing uh, movie posters. I mean, Frank Frazetta, you know, who's a famous uh, 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 illustration artist, he started doing uh, movie posters in the early 60s, along with just a whole host of other illustrators who are, you know, famous for other reasons these days. So, uh, what are you hoping that people get out of the, the uh, what kind of joy are you hoping that people will derive from this? Well. First and foremost, you know, I, I hope that people will, will see these things and just get, will recognize the beauty of it and the, the grandeur of it and just get blown away by seeing all this stuff in one spot. Because when you have all these, these really great pieces and they're all together, you, you get this synergy going. And it's, it, for me, it, it's a really cool energy and it feels really good. And it's, just, it's overwhelmingly just cool just to be surrounded by cool horror pieces if you're a fan. And, and then on the other, other hand, you know, it's a, a great way to educate yourself about movie posters in general and, you know, the art of the movie poster and, and, and how it's contributed to culture over the decades and, you know, the growth of it from, from the turn of last century to, till now. Okay, last question. Regardless of value, your favorite piece? Um, you know, it, it's, it probably... Probably would be the Mummy Three Sheet. I love that image. It's on my guitar. You know, when I look at it, I just get lost in the, in, in the, the colors of it, the the composition, uh, just the the lushness of it. I just love it. You know, I get lost in this stuff. It's uh, my mind just dives in totally, and I'm, I'm, I'm just somewhere else. It's it's a amazing uh, effect that this stuff has on me. Everybody needs to have a hobby, and sometimes the hobby becomes something completely obsessive. Nope. That's me. <laughs>
If you're in the Toronto area, It's Alive! Classic Horror and Sci-Fi Art from the Kirk Hammett Collection runs at the Royal Ontario Museum from July 12th, 2019 until January 5th, 2020. From there, it will move on to be shown at other museums around the world. Thanks to Kirk for the chat. Thanks to Metallica's people for smuggling us backstage in Nashville. And thanks for the ROM for making this interview possible. This has been an ongoing history bonus podcast. Technical production by Chris Santos and Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. 